Who are you? Who are you? Welcome to Fate and Fortune. Join our fated as they traverse a perilous new world, seeking adventure, revenge, and safety, or at least something close to it. Featuring the vocal talents of Jed as Julius Ignis, Matt playing Sapper Carlson, and Nate as Owen Gunn. I, Danny Dawson, will be your humble guide, your keeper of destiny, your. Fate master in this narrative. Whether our cast find themselves in great fate, or perhaps slip into misfortune, we do hope to enjoy today's tale. Okay, let's see it. I turned back around to see the face of Mrs. Edith Havisham. Well, almost. I think the wrinkles around the uh, left eye droop more towards the ends, but otherwise it's a great look. You caught me. Just trying to add a touch of inner youth to her. She cackled, an air of melodrama in the way she raised her arms. They were my first willing inceptionist and I was determined to make this work. Though it had been nearly ten years since I discovered my abilities as Fate Master, I had struggled to bring much change to either world. I know, I know, and it looks wonderful on you. But if this is going to go smoothly, we need to keep things by the book. I held the photograph to her face again. Age-ridden wrinkles, quiet recluse. We want people to dismiss you. Anything you wish to add would cause distraction from the truth, and people to question you. The face of the old woman pouted like a soured young bell, and rolled her eyes, returning those folding lines back to their place. Better? Better. You old fat? Yes, yes. It was hard to believe that we'd only met just a week prior, and the onlooker would have thought that we were thick as thieves. They were a creature that I had long been taught to fear, with stories that they want for nothing but to take the form of humans in order to kill and feed, a subspecies of the Neverborn, known as Mimics. I'd returned home from yet another miserable day of limp and clammy handshakes, the kind that indicated disinterest in the black sheep of higher society. The hope was to lay claim to a section of the Knotwoods that my mentor had indicated would be worth my time investing in, and she was yet to steer me wrong. The only issue was my credibility. My funds were low. My only remaining staff member was my childhood butler, Heathcliff, who stayed on even when I couldn't afford to pay for him. To purchase the land and build standing to restore my name, I'd need to take out a loan with Mr. Harold Mills, an investor who was known for his luck in finding the diamonds in various roughs. But alas, this was our third meeting. Without any interest beyond myself in the particular site, he quite rightfully was becoming tired with my attempts on his script. 
had come home drunk, of course. My addiction had not ceased despite my new life's purpose, and I all but fell through the front door of our home. Steadying myself, I heard the creak of a floorboard in one of the back rooms. Heathcliff! No luck, I'm afraid, old chap. I called out through the walls. Another creak. I know this is supposed to work out, I, I just can't figure how. Heathcliff rounded the corner, walking over to offer an arm for me to lean on, a warm and generous smile decorating his lined face. I'll put the kettle on, Master Hawthorne. Just get you set to bed. You must be spent. I wrapped my arm over his shoulders and allowed him to lead me through to the dining room. Allowed him to pull the chair out for me. Before turning the old man's body over my hip, throwing him down on the table. Heathcliff was hospitalized last night after a fall. Even if he were here, a limp may have been more convincing. I pinned his chest down, applying more pressure than had been necessary. That, and he hasn't greeted me warmly in years. The body beneath me drew a knee in, flipping me over the other side of the table, my back slamming into the opposite wall. They groaned as they rolled off, scanning the table for an implement to aid them. No instruments of war here, only a small, clumsy-looking candelabra that had belonged to my parents. Damn. Did I get the looks right? I tried to pick up a lot of the details. The smile never wavered, and I had to admit, it was an incredible likeness. We both eyed the kitchen. Stances low. I have no issue with you. But do not think for a second that I will be taken out as easily as your usual targets. I had no intention of harming anyone. I just... I eased slightly. The solemnity in the voice they wore appeared honest. You just... Look, I'm sorry. I was told I'd be able to eat my fill here. And, well, I haven't in days. And you've clearly got enough to feed more than the two of you. I wanted to retort, but we were ourselves on our last scrip. And something in that caught my ear. You were told. This witch. A human in the bayou. She's something of an oracle to us, you see. I'm well aware of Zareda. I pulled out a seat, carefully sitting to express a level of calm to the room. If Zareda had sent someone to my door, it was not without reason. I take it you're never born. You speak of humans as something distant. Yes, I am. The corners of Heathcliff's lips trembled slightly. A fear. Please, I'll go. Just, just let me live. No, I mean, sorry. Of course, I'm not going to harm you, but don't leave. What? Do you have a name? Of course I do. I may not be human, but I'm not a savage. Heathcliff's hand rubbed at his other arm nervously. Clearly, a mistrust of humans was expected. Humans were, after all, the hunters of the Neverborn. Fulcris. Thank you. 
I believe you know my name by now. We spoke to one another with silent reverence. As much as I wished I could trust them, 35 years of propaganda would keep me from letting my guard down, and Fulcris was little different. While we spoke, my mind played over and over on their mention that Zareda had sent them to my door, and after many hours, along with a shared brandy, I understood why. Fulcris's art of deception was masterful. While many mimics are required to stalk their targets for some time, watching on the sidelines to take in details to duplicate, they were far more advanced. For them it was simply a matter of a glance to form a mental photograph, stored forever in their ever-changing mind. Mannerisms and behaviour, however, were a different story. Fulcris often struggled to grasp the emotional character of their targets, which made it difficult to insert themselves into someone's life, as others of their species would be able to do with no issue. I offered them the bed, but they wouldn't take it. Relenting to a chaise lounge I had acquired in my years of vice. We spent the next week discussing their journey here. Zareda had shown Fulcris what fate had in store for them. A great submersion into the lives of humans, directly within Malifaux City, and the wildlands to the west, exactly where the Knotwoods were located. Fulcris had lived for some time, and though the returning human invasion of Malifaux had been terrifying to their kind, to say the least, they had always been fascinated by our lifestyle, recreation, and leisure activities, and most notably, the musical arts. We made a deal that once I secured the land, Fulcris would have a permanent future in our world, where they could experience all of that which humans offered. I even found myself offering personal escorts to the Grand Opera House in San Francisco. At least the company would be more interested in the act than their political status, as most of my ilk were. We'd spent two days researching the best targets for the job. Thanks to my own time spent studying Harold Mills, we had enough on his likely haunts to make a plan. Fulcris was used to the standard mimic approach. Study a loved one intensely, and slide into their life for a short while. Though more typical individuals of their kind would kill their initial target, and steal the riches of the household before slinking off into the night. I, however, wanted to play the long game. Four personas from Fulcris, and of course, myself, across two stages. The setup, and the show. That was the plan. The first two parts of the setup were simple enough. No direct contact needed. A parishioner of his local gentleman's club making passing conversation about a number of people becoming interested in Knotwood's land, ensuring Mr. Mills was in earshot. The second had made me somewhat uncomfortable to request, but the necessity was that my name be somewhat restored. Unhushed tones set to my apparent understanding of the lumber trade earthside, an apparent look when I actually set my mind to something, which was not entirely untrue given the circumstances. The final untitled persona was that of a wizened soulstone aficionado, on a return trip from the Badlands, 
with claims that it was getting harder and harder to find decent mining spots out in the wilds. With the history of overmining gold back on Earth, this detail had to be handled with care to prevent panic. Acknowledging the risks, I hired an actor to be another speaker in this discussion. Though we spent the night with little more than a bread roll between us, this piece of the grander puzzle was vital if we were to succeed. Through this time preparing our target for the final play, Fulcris and I grew much closer. After seeing their work on the first set of characters, I simply asked for the updates when they returned home. Trust was being earned, and we relaxed and shared strong conversations of our cultures in the evenings. Bonds formed in our fight to survive the ways of this dreadful city. The dawn of our final stage was upon us, and this had required the most work. Edith Havisham, very well-respected investor and personal rival to Harold Mills, was due to travel through the breach to visit family following a tragic accident, or so came from the lips of their recently deceased servant. We had taken a chance on her not being aware of his death, relying perhaps a little too heavily on Zreda's fate reading for Fulcrus. This would offer us two advantages. Firstly, the initial and immediate travel would offer us a chance to use the face of perhaps the person in Malfa with the most amount of influence on our man. Secondly, and most importantly for the long term, the resulting confusion of Mrs. Havisham's arrival at the word of someone seen as unimportant by the family who had died for a false familial accident would have her hush any speaking of the trip in the first place. Her reputation may be more than respected as a businesswoman, but madness was contagious in these lands. A smart player in our city would know when to keep their mouth shut. Fulcris grinned from ear to ear, both of which belonged to Edith, of course. It's going to be all right, Lionel. Harold has an appointment at the bank this afternoon. That's only three doors from the postmasters. Trust me, we've got this. I'd spent most of the morning sick to the skin thinking over the plan. We'd have no way of knowing how it would go until after. But if this failed, we'd be destitute for certain. I do, Fulcris, I, I do. I'm just on edge. It's, it's not like what we've been doing so far. This, this one needs Mills to play his part, which... We can't exactly script. I fumbled with the key in the liquor cabinet, knowing I'd find nothing inside. I just needed to do something to vent my frustrations. Would it help if I... distract you? Distract me? I turned, my eyes locking onto theirs. A coy smile. Something knowing about their tone had amused them. I can show you something I doubt you've ever seen. A nervous laugh. I, um... I, I... don't know what to say. Say yes. You don't exactly have time for anything. It'll be quick. Promise. Before I could speak, it happened. Edith's visage slipped away, skin peeling from itself as if some curtain falling to the floor. 
retracting into their true body. While they remained humanoid, the being before me was far from akin to my own kind. We made jest of people with porcelain skin, but a mimic's was of flawless texture, and the colour white as bone. No eyes decorated their head, nor nose, ears or hair. All that appeared familiar were the perfect teeth behind impossibly thin lips, grinning with a light I hadn't seen in this city in many years. And what looked to be a similar bone structure to that of a human, save for an ocular cavity or two. I'd known that a mimic's true form was one of an intimate nature, kept hidden even from most Neverborn to protect their identity, and Fulcris had offered to share that with me. I wish I hadn't, but I stiffened. My reaction caused them to do the same, like a rod up their spine. The light in that smile faded, corners quivering slightly. Slowly, the skin rippled once again from their ankles, drawing back up their form to mark the shape of Edith Havisham once again. I I'm sorry, I began. The Fulcris's boots on the wooden panels were the only response I had before the slam of the door. I don't know why I was running. I wouldn't be able to spot a mimic in broad daylight at any speed. And this was just wearing me out. But still, I, I had to keep going. Focus could literally be anyone, but I focused my attention towards anyone standing alone. If I kept my magic up, I'd be able to read the shapes of their fates after several moments. By this time, I hoped I'd be able to recognize my colleague's destiny. It was only after the fifth stink eye I received that my eyes were drawn to the sky, or rather, the colossal clock tower that stood in downtown square. Five minutes to three. The appointment with Harold Mills. If we missed this, Edith would surely return. We did not have the time or money to begin again. I wiped my brow. The day was brisk for Malfo's standards. But even yet, I'd managed to work up a sweat. If nothing else, I could hope that the first stages of our plan would be enough to see me through. So I took a turn towards the bank of Malifaux. The building was... unimpressive. A surprisingly dull office in an otherwise loudly designed area. The Bank of Malifaux had several branches in the city, but the one in downtown held the money of more powerful folk. This is where its inelegance came into practice. The wards may be dull, but were far more sturdy than any building here. A deterrent for would-be raiders. I propped myself against one corner of the block, catching my breath. Harold would have had his appointment by now, and be finishing up conversation. The window was approaching fast, and I needed to be ready to make a good twentieth impression. Muffled conversation from inside, approaching the doors. It was now or never. I took twelve paces back before beginning again turning my gaze to a street cellar to appear less conspicuous, breathing in slowly. I took one step, then another, then I was flung sideways. The battering ram of a person standing before me leered at me on the ground, all parts Edith Havisham, save for an extremely muscular right arm and legs that spoke of a heavy weight. 
each of which shrank back to the form of the elderly woman in mere seconds. I scrambled to my elbow, ready to clamber up and shout for help when Fulcris pulled a wry sneer. I froze. In any case, there was no way of me returning from this line of soot without causing a scene here. I'd have to watch from the sidelines as the mimic ruined me. They walked from view, not a perfect replica of Harold's arrival. I pressed myself to a wall and edged as close as I dared to gain a peek, ignoring the sounds of some creature rummaging through the bins in the alley. Havisham, my dear, what a surprise! whittled the voice of Mr. Mills. You remember my daughter, Dahlia? I do indeed, though lately only through photographs. You have grown up well, haven't you, my dear? Pitch perfect. It's expected from Fulcrus. I'll say. Father's just helped me sign my first book deal. Isn't it incredible? Oh my! Well, reserve one in my name, will you, Harold? Yes, Edith, of course. This just a chance meeting, then? I bit my tongue. There was every chance that Fulcrus would double-cross me. But there was nothing I could do but to watch. Chance? Yes, something like that. I'm actually here looking into talks of a new venture. Oh? Anything of interest? Like I'd tell you, Mr. Mills. A slight scuffle of a boot. He was a man of short temper, easily goaded into topics given enough suggestion. Oh, yes? Well, I have something grand in the works myself. Another Soulstone raid? My dear Harold, you and I both know the mines aren't what they used to be. But go ahead. Take yourself out of the running, if you like. Dad, come on. She's just winding you it's up. Not the mines I'll be looking in. Got him. What? You've heard? Oh, yes. I know all about the woods, Edith. He was being too loud. If they didn't rope him in soon, he'd alert too much attention to it. I've had enough, Father. This is supposed to be a happy day. Thank you for your conversation, Mrs. Havisham, but I'll need to depart. We'll save you a first edition. The clacking of heels on cobblestone as the young Miss Mills stalked past the alleyway, causing me to shuffle further into its moor. Harold walked after her. No, no! Hearing is one thing, Harold, came Edith's voice, causing the man to stop not twenty feet from me. And you and I both know you're not going to run an operation on your own. Do you have anyone lined up? He looked to his shoes. Thought not. If you do come across any, let me know. We could split the investment. Damn you, Fulcrus. You have a good day, Mrs. Havisham, spoke the investor. His hat tipped against the sun. And to you, Mr. Mills. I waited a minute, ensuring Harold had truly left before exiting the grimy alleyway. A rat the size of a small dog had been getting too close to comfort, and I wasn't looking for a pet right now. Fulcris was nowhere to be seen. Not that I'd know if they were. They could literally be anyone here. I opened the door and sank to the base of the stairs rubbing a tear from my cheek.
that was certainly the end. With no money left, I'd have to truly tell Heathcliff to find new employment, so at least he can lead a more full life. As for me, it's not like I could rely on some great destiny to help bring me back on path. Of course, I didn't have one. My best chance would be to find a relative to stay with Earthside, though even affording the ticket home would be more than I could manage. I wonder if- Am I good or am I good? Oh, Chris, what the damn was that? You went completely off script and I uh, didn't even mention me. Do you know nothing about getting investors? Like, do you actually know nothing about them? It sure seems like it, mate. What the hell do you mean? Uh, can you get that face off, please? Ah, fine. The skin rippled over them, shifting from the face of a post-runner to that of Harold's daughter, Dahlia. Better? Oh, no. Tough. I actually quite like this one. Fulcrus. Okay, look, you cannot win him over by saying, you know who's a great choice? That Hawthorne fellow. You know, the one who lost all he had through drinking himself into the ground. I mean, really, who would want to boast about Can you- Can we please get to the point? Not until I've made mine. You were rude today. So I'm going to be rude too, and you need to take it on the chin my friend. A wicked smile crossed their lips. I could barely hold the blush. So, we're still friends. You're buying the drinks in San Francisco, and I don't just mean at the opera house. But yes, we're still friends, Lionel. Good. As you were. Where was I? Oh yes, I mean really, who would boast about a black sheep like... Oh, you know what, you get the point. Mills has to think he's doing you a favour. It's the only way now that the power balance is so far tilted. I breathed deeply. Despite knowing I was basically destitute, and far from expected at social circles now, that realisation did sting. So what, we're just supposed to hope that the hints we put down are enough? If they aren't, Fulcris, I'm afraid of what happens next. The mimic's smile faded slightly, eyes glossing over. They walked on the young woman's legs to fetch a chair from the dining table, and took it, facing me. Just over 100 years ago, humans had taken over Malifaux City. I remember it like it was yesterday. We Neverborn were all alone out here factioned and fragmented across much of this land. Some worked in packs, hunting and surviving as a team, the Nevelim, a prime example. I was alone. They blinked away something, crossing a leg over the other. That wasn't by choice, by the way. Mimics are solitary. We are, even to the rest of our kin, untrusted. The fact that we could be anywhere, anyone, makes everyone else fear confiding in their own. So where we were found, we were pushed out. Then the humans came. Droves of these pink-skinned things that look so much like we once did. The rest of the mimics of the Neverborn were terrified of them. Most fled. I did not. 
I took a simile of a human who wandered too far into the waste and returned to their city. At the time, a woman was not expected to speak, and so I was able to keep my cover long enough to learn the languages that came through the breach. I heard the music, Lionel. That wonderful song created with no magic at all. It was... It soothed parts of me that I didn't know were at war. They sniffed, sputtering out a laugh while wiping away a tear. Then they came. One of the Nephilim leaders struck the breach down, Nakima. She ordered her clan to raise the city of humans, and that they did. I watched as my friends were slaughtered. So many of your kind died that day, and the next. And the next. More Neverborn came. My kind, the Nephilim. Even some Fae. It became a system of games among them to hunt every last child of Earth. After that, I... I, I had never known loss like it. I stood sharply, leaning Dahlia's hands against my shoulders. When Zareda said to me that my destiny lies with humans... I didn't hesitate, Lionel. I don't want to be anything like my kind is. I don't want to hurt anyone. I've been enjoying myself with you, but I fear that staying any longer will put me in situations where I, I, I would have to hurt someone, and I, I don't want to do that. I, I don't think that will happen. Promise me. You'll never make me hurt someone, Lionel. I took in their eyes. Without their concentration, the hold they had on Dahlia was fading. The sclera of their eyes had gone to a black, yellow moons of irises in each centre. But within the alien visage, I felt their sincerity. I promise, Fulcrus. Never. They leaned in and embraced me for a moment. Thank you. So, I placed a hand on the woman's shoulders to steady them. I guess now we wait. Well, about that. Fulcrus moved over to a messenger bag they had lain by the door. The kind of postman would carry. I wanted to make sure he followed through, so I stepped in for a clerk who was on their lunch break, and... They pulled out a crisp white envelope. You mean you've had it this whole time? Mm-hmm. They chirped. An air of cheek played in Miss Mills's voice. They offered me the envelope and I took it, searching in a private drawer for my father's letter opener. Slicing the top of the paper, I held my bated breath as my eyes scoured the handwritten text. Fulcris was right to enrage him. I'd seen countless letters of Harold's, but none were so hastily written as this. Within he had detailed perfectly acceptable, if even a little generous, terms of his investment. This was it. It was going to be okay. I could feel it. I folded the letter away to save the ink from being smeared by my tears, practically sprinting down the hall to take Fulcrus to me. A thanks was given, but I felt that I could not nearly begin to express what this meant to me. Fulcrus, this is the start of something wonderful. They smiled at me youthful grin of Miss Mills taking shape so naturally it was as if they owned it. 
I wholeheartedly agree. Well, well, well. It would appear that my dear protege has been successful. The crone cackled to herself, gnarled staff thunking against equally gnarled floorboards. A shame this wasn't exactly the plan for you, Madam Fate. But honestly, your plan needs work. She broke into a wild cackle, reaching for the shears on the wall. Oh, I know, I know. I can see all your little threads in such a mess. My bringing that fulcrum in is far from helping all these taut little strings. But no matter. We have what we need now. The woods won't fall into the hands of those damn humans. Especially not the heart of it. I guess I'll help relieve you of some of that, uh, tension. She swings wildly, rusted blades chomping through the matted fronds of a thread, its snap permeating the shack. Zareda grinned a mostly toothed smile. She could almost hear Harold Mills's heart stop beating. Turning to a large, bold cauldron, she reached a withered limb inside drawing out a doll woven from the scraps of thread she had pulled from her prized table. My dear child, a mimic who wants to be human. That cannot end well for you. And there we have it. An end to the prologue for the episode. Of course, we all know the fate of Fulcris by now. Under a different name, of course. Such a shame for the poor old ferryman. Join us next time for the beginning of Old Faces, New Fates, in which our characters take in the sights of downtown Malifaux and stir up some trouble while they're at it. Until then, stay safe, listeners. No, really, stay safe. <laughs>